are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering online. Please go to www.hopechurchguildford.com for more details. We look forward to getting to know you. Good morning, church. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Uh, my name's Maddie, and I am going into my third year as a sports scientist at the University of Surrey, and I've been part of Hope Church for two years and loved every moment of it. And this morning, I'm just gonna share a bit of my testimony, how I found hope in Jesus, and why I believe hope matters. So I think as humans, we all desire three things. We desire to be accepted, secure, and significant. And ultimately, throughout my whole life, I was searching for this. I grew up in a Christian family, went to church every Sunday, but really for me, it didn't have an impact on me. I just, as Ezekiel 36 says, I just had a heart of stone. I didn't want to hear about the things of God. So at 14, when I got my chance, I ran away from God. And even if he was real, great, but it didn't matter to me. And so I just continued as a high school student, trying to find my uh, identity and, and my acceptance in other people, trying to you know, find, find my security in the world. And I, I realized that my friends would fail me. I realized that the instant gratification from a good grade would be fleeting and it wouldn't last. And so I felt lost and I felt there must be something more. And it's at the age of 17 that I stumbled across a podcast from a pastor in America called Levi Lusko. And he just explained the gospel in a way I'd never heard before. That the gospel wasn't a ceremony for halo polishing, but it was an emergency room for life-saving. And I remember just hearing that and being like, wow, it's so amazing that, you know, God, Jesus, God in flesh, Jesus would come and would die for us. And it wasn't about how much good we could do because ultimately we would fail and we would fall. And but ultimately it was because of him and what he'd done for us. And we could never be good enough for God. But he knew that and he took our punishment on him and what great news that was. And it was really at this time that I started to ask my boyfriend Nathan every theological question under the sun to try and find out more and to try and find more about Jesus and, and who he actually was. It was really when I came to the University of Surrey and got involved in the CU that it kind of completely transformed my life. I saw students, people my age, who had this identity as, as children of God. Um, and it was absolutely amazing to see that they found their acceptance, they found their significance and their security, not in the instant gratification of the world, but they found their ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. And that was just such an amazing thing to hear. And so it really just took me on this journey of just learning more about Jesus. And really a significant point um, was when I got baptised, uh, March the 6th, 2019. And I just remember that being such a significant point just sharing my testimony. And I remember as we sung uh, This Is Our God later on, we sung his lyrics, freely he gave it all for us, surrendered his life upon the cross. Great is his love that was poured out for us. This is our God. What an amazing God, um, that he would, you know, sacrifice his, his life for us. And it just made me think, looking back at my 15 year old self, completely trying to run away from God, and realizing that God had been me, with me all the way wanted me to come back in, into going back into relationship with him and he was there with open arms waiting for me to do so um, and hope is what I found beyond measure that I didn't have to you know look for my security and acceptance significant in the world but I could find it ultimately in my identity as a child of God knowing that you know Jesus love is beyond all measure God in flesh savior and servant of all mankind and the fact that he loved me so much. He was a firm foundation to stand on, I found. 
that he never leaves us or forsakes us. And he took our deserved punishment on him and died on the cross for us. We have a hope in this life that he's with us every step of the way. But we also have an amazing eternal hope for spending a life with him. And so this is just amazing news. It's changed my life. And so I want to ask you today, I found hope in Jesus. Have you found hope yet? Because hope matters. Thank you. Hello, Hope Church. Thank you so much for the invitation to speak to you today. For anyone who doesn't know me, my name's Steve Patch. I'm the lead pastor at Welcome Church in Woking. Congratulations to you on your new name, Hope Church. I think that's great and such a good move. I've enjoyed watching your church's transformation from up the road here in Woking. Go for it. I know God's got a great plan for you all there in Guildford. Now, your preaching series is called Hope Matters, looking at people who had encounters with Jesus. And my title is Seeing People Clearly. And I'm going to look at Jesus' encounter with a man called Matthew. So let's start by reading a Bible passage. This is Matthew 9, verse 9 to 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now we get a little insight there into the life of one of Jesus' disciples, Matthew, who I believe was the author of the Gospel of Matthew. Now there are a few things we can learn about Matthew. The first thing we learn is this. We learn very quickly that he had a questionable job. Tax collectors were hated. They were viewed as traitors to their people. Second thing we learn is this, that Matthew had dubious morals. You know, that just went with his trade as a tax collector. They were dishonest people and hated by all. And the third thing we learn is this, he had a whole lot of sinful friends. So once he followed Jesus, there was a party at Matthew's house and lots of sinful people came to it, people the Pharisees would not have associated with. So let's ask a question. How do you feel around someone like Matthew? I mean, someone who has a questionable job, dubious morals, and a whole raft of sinful friends. I mean, how would you feel if someone like that turned up at Hope Church or at Life Group, whether that's online or in person? How will you respond to them? What will you say to them? How will you treat them? Just think about it. You see, we need to think about this because if you're going to be the church that God is calling you to be, a church that brings real hope to people, this scenario is just bound to happen sooner or later. By the way, you may be listening to this today and feel like you're Matthew. You might think that's me you're talking about. If so, I want you to know that you are so welcome. The church is not for perfect, holy people. Keep coming along. Keep watching online. Keep listening. Come and explore faith with Hope Church here, with this lovely community of people. But there's one more important thing to notice about Matthew from this passage, and it's this. Deep down, he had a hidden desire for something more in his life. It looks to me like he had a desire for God. Now, that may not have been obvious on the surface. You could have looked at him and missed it. But Jesus called him and he responded straight away. And then he brought all his questionable, dubious, immoral friends to meet Jesus as well. I think that tells us a lot about Matthew's state of heart. Jesus was happy to spend time with Matthew and his friends. But the Pharisees were just appalled by it. So... 
how do we make sure that we're like Jesus, who we're supposed to be like, and don't end up like those self-righteous Pharisees, which is just too easy to do? Well, I want you to imagine a scenario with me, and it's a scenario just to kind of get us thinking. Imagine that you're doing some work on your house, and as part of that, you hire a skip to put your rubbish in. And then one morning, you step outside and you find that someone else has dumped all their rubbish in your skip. Very annoying, right? So you have a close look to see what this rubbish is that's been dumped there, and you spot something. In the skip, there is a broken and damaged painting. It's covered in mud, it's covered in dirt, it's stained, the canvas is torn, it looks at first like rubbish, but then you spot something else about the painting. Amidst the mud, amidst the dirt, beneath all the grime and the damage, you notice something. You recognise something. You notice this hand. And because of your knowledge of art, and I told you this was imagination, uh, because of your knowledge of 17th century Baroque art, you recognise that this is actually a very famous painting. You recognise that you've stumbled across a masterpiece by Rembrandt called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Now, you've got no idea how this incredible, one-of-a-kind masterpiece, one of the last things Rembrandt painted, ended up in your skip instead of where it really belongs, in the Heritage Museum in St. Petersburg. You can only imagine what must have happened to leave it so broken and damaged and sitting in your skip. But you know for sure that this is a masterpiece. This is worth millions and millions of pounds. How would you treat that painting? Now, here's what I would suggest you would not do once you knew what it was. You would not treat it like rubbish. You wouldn't leave it rotting in the skip and go, oh, that's a shame, just leave it there. You wouldn't get the garden hose out and start to spray it down to clean off the mud and the grime. You wouldn't get a tin of gloss paint out and try and retouch it a little bit. And you wouldn't stick it back together with elephant tape. Now, if that painting was to be restored, it would take the work of an expert, someone who would delicately, skillfully return it to its former glory. None of us would try to do the job by ourselves, would we? But after all, this painting is precious. So precious, it will be worth the effort and worth the cost. The painting has great value. It is rare. It is unique. Its restoration would take a master. The painting is precious, but do you know the value God places on people is infinitely greater than that? He loves us so much that he gave his son Jesus for us. So how will we respond to the mud-covered people who God sends our way, people infinitely more valuable than that painting? Will we fail to see the inherent value in a sin-stained, damaged and broken life? Or will we treat people like they are an immensely valuable, unique masterpiece created by God's own hand and in need of restoration by the master? In short, will we see people like Jesus saw them? When we look at the Gospels, there is a clear contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus was always in conflict with them. Well, why was that? Well, the first thing is this, the Pharisees were fixated on the mud in people's lives. They were fixated on the filth or sin that covered the lives of the people around them. Their lives were devoted to a personal program of mud avoidance and also to pointing out the mud that affected those around them. And they kept their distance from anyone they viewed as sinful whilst retaining a self-righteous confidence in their own goodness and standing before God. The difference between them and Jesus was vast. You see, Jesus could see past the mud. He could see past the filth and the damage in people's lives, and he could clearly see the masterpiece that lay underneath, a masterpiece who God had created and wanted to restore to his image again. And Jesus helped people to get clean. He helped them to find wholeness and restoration. And do you know, Jesus still wants to work through us, his church, to see people restored and made whole too. 
to become all God intended them to be. Jesus saw past the mud. He still does. He still wants us to see people clearly too. And if you feel like you're a mud-covered person, please know that Jesus sees past that. He sees the masterpiece he created. So my question at this point is this. Will we be more like Jesus in the way we treat others or more like the Pharisees? See, the church is Jesus' body. We are Jesus' people. We should be on Jesus' mission doing Jesus' work. So how do we make sure that we're on the right mission? How do we make sure that we don't end up working for the wrong team? Now, you and I might bristle at the idea that we could ever be like the Pharisees, but do you know our hearts can really deceive us? It's very easy to end up becoming pharisaical towards the people that Jesus is drawing to himself. It's far too easy to turn the Christian faith, which is really all about a relationship with God, into a program of mud management or mud avoidance, and then to put that on other people too. So is there anything of the Pharisee in you and me? Well, let's consider a question. What were the Pharisees like? And I think the first thing we have to say is this, they weren't all bad. If we don't understand that, we run the risk of turning them into one, some sort of you know, bogeyman, something completely different to us, some sort of monster. We run the risk of forgetting that they were real people who believed they were doing the right thing and serving God. They were normal people like you and me. They thought and they reasoned just as clearly as we do. And like us, they had issues. Now, three things we must understand about the Pharisees are these. Number one, they stood for moral values. They saw the way that the culture of their day had been influenced by Roman and Greek thinking and the way people were turning away from God towards immorality and idolatry. They were worried about it and they were zealous for God. So they spoke out about morality and holy living. They were calling for a return to biblical values. Second thing about the Pharisees, they loved the Bible. Now, obviously, they only had the Old Testament part of it, but they studied it diligently to make sure they followed it all. Third thing, they were evangelistic. We're told they traveled over land and sea to win converts and to baptize those converts into their faith. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that list, it reminds me of something. It may be a little too close to home for comfort. So with those things in mind, let's read some of the things Jesus said about the Pharisees. And these are really just a few snapshots of the words Jesus said. He said this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. You appear as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. That's Matthew 23, 27 to 28. He also said this, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. That's John 5, 39 to 40. He said this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you do, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. That's Matthew 23, 15. But the Pharisees thought they were the good people. They thought they were God's people. They stood for morality. They loved the Bible and studied it diligently. They were evangelistic for their faith, trying to win converts for God. And Jesus sums them up like this, You hypocrites, you've shut the kingdom of thought the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. So I'll say that again. You hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. That's Matthew 23, verse 13. There's a hard truth here. It's possible for people to think that they are faithfully doing God's work and yet to completely misunderstand Jesus' mission to reach lost people. So what was the issue with the Pharisees? What was it that they missed and we mustn't miss? It's this. They had no mercy or compassion for broken sinful 
people. And yet God is full of those things. Oh, they understood lots of things correctly, but they didn't see people, either themselves or others, in the way that God saw them. They didn't see people clearly. They believed that God loved and belonged to good people, and that they, of course, were the good people. And they didn't want to be contaminated by bad people who God didn't love. So instead of modelling grace and bringing hope to lost people, all they brought was condemnation. And they were so deceived about these things, they completely missed the fact that the Messiah they longed for had come into their world. Let's go back to our passage. It says, the Pharisees asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and with sinners? Can you hear their perspective? Those people are sinful. We're righteous. Why are you eating with those sinful people? You would be, should be with us because we're good people. Or in hearing this, Jesus replied, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, don't miss the sarcasm in Jesus' words. Who are these healthy, righteous people that Jesus is referring to? Oh, the Pharisees, the ones who had Jesus murdered. They weren't healthy or righteous at all. They just thought they were. They were actually outwardly religious and inwardly self-righteous and sinful. They were unkind. They were judgmental. Are we? They were spiritually sick, but they didn't know it. And what was the main symptom of their spiritual sickness? There was no mercy or compassion in their hearts for lost, damaged, broken, mud-covered, sinful people. Jesus pointed them straight to an Old Testament scripture, something they should have studied. Hosea 6 verse 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So let me ask again, how will we respond to the mud-covered people who God sends our way? Will we show them mercy? Or are we just more concerned with making sure we're doing the right sacrifices to God of worship and giving? Oh, those things are important. But are we those that show mercy? Because it seems God wants that more. If we're going to play our part in Jesus' mission, both as individuals and as a church, we need to see people how God sees them. And if we're going to do that, we first need to understand how God sees people, how he sees us, how much he's done for us. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10 is a lovely part of the Bible, and I think it helps us here with this. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this did not come from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you know, without Jesus we were completely lost. We were spiritually dead. Before we knew Jesus, we weren't just in need of a bit of moral reform or cleaning up. We didn't just need to pull ourselves together a bit and straighten up and fly right. Without God's grace, we were totally lost. We were dead in our sin. Understand how lost people are without Jesus. Like that ruined painting tossed in a skip. We're not capable of cleaning ourselves up and giving ourselves spiritual life. But that's what God does for us. He made us alive. He saved us. He forgave us through Jesus. If you're a Christian today, please understand it is not because you were a bit more moral or a bit more clever or a bit less bad than somebody else. You were dead in sin. Yes, even if you were born in a Christian family. And then God intervened and he gave you life. That's how good God is. His grace is amazing. It's by grace alone that you and I can be made right with God. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And even that faith came as a gift from God. 
Salvation is God's undeserved, unearned favour to us. It comes by grace through Jesus, who died on the cross in our place and took the punishment we deserved. He did that so that we could know forgiveness and new life and be made right with God. Jesus paid for our sin. We're credited with his righteousness as a free gift of grace. And now he calls us to show grace to others. We're never made right with God by being a moral person by studying the Bible or by reaching out to others. We're only ever made right with God by his grace and his grace alone. Let that sink in. Our goodness doesn't save us. There are no good people. There is no one righteous, not even one. Only Jesus was good. Only Jesus was righteous. And we receive his goodness as a free gift when we put our faith in him. And even that faith, as I said already, is a gift of God. It is by Grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not by works, so no one can boast. And then it says, for with God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You and I are God's handiwork. Other translations use the word workmanship. Some say God's masterpiece. That word in Greek, the word is poema. And poema is a Greek word from which we get the English word, can you guess it, poem. You are God's poem. I love that. He created you beautifully, on purpose, for a reason. Through you, he wants to show something to the world. You are his masterpiece. Your life is intended to bring his glory into this world. And though you and I have been broken and damaged, through Jesus, he redeems us and restores us. And he can do the same in the lives of people around us. Yes, even the lives of people with dubious morals, dodgy friends and questionable jobs. So how can we make sure we're on Jesus' mission and not the wrong mission? How can we make sure that we're not the Pharisees? It really comes down to how we see people. So let me ask, how are we going to respond when Matthew and his questionable, dubious, sinful friends turn up? Are we going to see the mud or will we see past that to the masterpiece God wants to restore? Will we see the damage or will we see who God intends that person to become? But how can we tell if we're viewing people as God views them? One simple way is this. If we view people as God does, we will treat people with love, mercy, grace and kindness and not with judgment and condemnation. We will show compassion to people who don't deserve it, which is what Jesus did to us and still does. Remembering that we don't deserve it either. You see, it's all rooted in the grace God has shown to us. Sadly, Christians have too often reduced the good news of Jesus to a program that we could call sin management or mud management. It comes from the inner Pharisee inside every human being. We look at other people, we see the faults in them, and then we try to improve them as good Christians by hosing them down, if you like, with religious rules and regulations. We have to be so careful we don't do that. Parents, can I say, you must be careful not to do that with your children. It's far too easy as parents to bring our kids up to follow religious rules and regulations, but not actually introduce them to Jesus. I believe our kids need evangelism more than they need discipline. I mean, they do need discipline, yeah, but they need evangelism more. They need to know Jesus. Don't bring your kids up to be people that follow religious rules to keep you happy. And the moment they grow up and leave home, they run from the church as fast as they possibly can. Introduce them to Jesus, which means them also knowing that you also need a saviour, that you also are flawed. You see, the truth is, we're not capable of making other people acceptable and clean before God. We're not capable of putting enough rules on them that if they do this, somehow God will accept them. How do we know? Because that's not how God accepts anybody. None of us are capable of making ourselves acceptable to God. 
Only Jesus can do that. It's faith in him that makes us right with God. So when Matthew or Margaret or Mohammed or Maisha or Steve or Stephanie or Sunil or Sunita turn up, and when we realise that their life is not yet being lived in line with who Jesus calls us to be, are we going to respond in judgment, rushing to point out the flaws and the errors and the sin in their life, making sure they clearly understand it because then we've told them, so we've done our bit, so well done us, and then pushing change on improvement on them so that we can then accept them because now they're living well enough that we can have them as part of our community? Or will we have the faith to believe that God is in the restoration business, that they can be part of our community just as they are because we believe that God is at work? You see, God wants to work through us but he really isn't looking for us to do his job for him. In his love and compassion, Jesus allowed all sorts of people to belong with him and spend time with him before they believed in him. In fact, you might argue that until religious people are looking at us and saying, why are you, are you allowing those sinful people to hang around with you, which is what happened to Jesus, until we're in that situation, maybe we're not really representing Jesus properly. You see, Jesus let Matthew, sinful as he was, hang around with him. And in time, Matthew went on to believe in Jesus, to see his life transformed, and to impact the world with the gospel. We need to see people clearly. But to truly understand the heart of Jesus for lost people, we need to see ourselves clearly first. So how do you view yourself? Are you a mess or a masterpiece? Are you self-righteous or are you only actually righteous in Jesus? Do you understand how lost you really were, how good God really is, and how amazing his grace is? Is it possible that God is far better than your theology? I love this quote from Tim Keller. It's an absolute favourite of mine. He says this, The gospel is this. We are more flawed and sinful in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. Understand just how loved you are. Jesus came into the world to show us what God is like and to win lost people back to himself. Jesus is truly amazing and he is still here for us today. Jesus has all sorts of people he wants to bring to this church. All sorts of people he is longing to reach with his love and his grace. Hope Church, may you be marked by the compassion and love of Jesus. May you bring hope to many people and may religious people look at you and wonder what you're doing hanging around with those people. Hope mattered for Matthew. Hope matters for me and you. And that's why you're called Hope Church. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Hope Church. I thank you for this wonderful new beginning that you've brought. Thank you for Chris and Catherine and their family coming in here. And Lord, for all the leaders who are emerging and elders who are developing. Lord, I thank you for every ministry they do. Father, would you watch over this church during this time of lockdown? I pray you keep people safe, help them to, to hold together as a community and to grow. And Father, I pray that in the years ahead, Hope Church would be a beacon of hope to so many in Guildford. And may the love of Jesus be found by many. Hey, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to, if you know that you're that mud-covered person and you want to be clean, I want to pray and I just invite you to pray with me as well. It's a very simple prayer, just asking Jesus for his forgiveness and a fresh start. He offers you that right now because he died on a cross for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross for me. Thank you that you took the punishment I deserved and offered me your cleanness in its place. Lord, forgive me for all I've done wrong. I pray right now that you would come into my life and my heart. Jesus, I want to be forgiven by you 
And I also want to live like you and follow you. Help me, Jesus, to see myself and others as you see them. Would you restore me to who you meant me to be? And I pray that through me you'd restore others as well. Jesus, I give my life to you today. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that, do let somebody know. In the meantime, thank you so much for letting me speak to you today. Hope Church, God bless you. Really appreciate all that you're doing in Guildford. And maybe one day we'll be able to see you in person as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We're meeting online every Sunday at 10 a.m. Head to hopechurchguildford.com for more information. We look forward to seeing you.